Hey, if you enjoyed my episode on IEPs and you want to listen to more podcast episodes about IEPs, I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season, the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ertube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. You might have heard me talk about IEPs on my episode, and this latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I checked out these episodes, and I think that they are a great place for you to go after listening to mine. They go into a little more detail and answer a little more in depth about what an IEP is and whether your child needs one. So listen to Understood Explains by searching for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Hello, you sentient balls of stardust. Welcome to Struggle Care. I'm your host, Casey Davis, and welcome to the bonus episode. I'm going to be putting out some bonus content for the next few weeks. And today I'm going to talk about coping skills. Coping skills is one of those words like emotional regulation. I've become really hot right now because I feel like there's a lot of talk in the psychology world about feelings and about trauma. And I just wanted to give you guys some information that I think will really clarify some of these concepts that I think have gotten a little watered down. So let's get into it. Let's start with the definition of emotional regulation. Because I've seen some people talk about emotional regulation in ways that I don't think is very helpful. And there's a example definition from the, a Cornell research study that says, emotional regulation is a term generally used to describe a person's ability to effectively manage and respond to an emotional experience. And I like that. But the best definition I've actually found is in Wikipedia. And I like it because there are there's like five parts to it that I want to break down for you. It says, emotional regulation is the ability to respond to the ongoing demands of experience with a range of emotions in a manner that is socially tolerable and sufficiently flexible to permit spontaneous reactions, as well as the ability to delay spontaneous reactions as needed. Now, that's really a mouthful. I want to break it down piece by piece. So first of all, I mean, can you hear me panting? I swear to God, I sound like I just ran and I just walked in here and sat down and I realized I should have like taking some deep breaths. Anyways. Okay. The ability to respond. Let's start there. What does that mean to respond? Well, in this case, we're going to be talking about our behavior and our decisions. Respond to what? Well, the ongoing demands of experience. God, I love that. I mean, it's kind of a fancy way to say life, but yeah, like life has demands. Like we're going to feel feelings and we still have to do life. Okay, so we have to be able to respond to the ongoing demands of experience with the range of emotions. God, that's so good. Because I can't tell you how many times I've seen people talk about regulation as if it's the same thing as calmness. Like being calm is not, I mean, it is part, like it can be, like regulation can be being calm, but that's not all it is. You can be angry and be regulated. You could be sad and be regulated. You could be jealous and be regulated. You could feel shame and be regulated. Like being regulated doesn't mean not having feelings. It doesn't mean having small feelings. It doesn't mean being calm, especially in the face of something that a reasonable person would not feel calm in. So it's the ability to respond with a range of emotions in a manner that is, and then there's two things. One, socially tolerable. God, the word choice is so good. 
And it doesn't even say socially acceptable because this isn't about, you know, doing it right. It's socially tolerable, right? And the way that I would expand on that is that that means basically an awareness of the social repercussions for yourself and others of whatever behavior or response you're about to have. I'm going to say that again. Awareness of the social repercussions. You're about to react. You're about to respond. And you want to be able to respond in a way where you are taking into account basically like the social fallout of how you're about to respond. So that can be something as simple as hurting someone's feelings. It could be burning a really important bridge. It could be committing a crime, right? Now you can, I mean, you could hurt someone's feeling on purpose. It doesn't necessarily mean every time you hurt someone's feelings, you're being dysregulated. But what we often see is we get emotionally dysregulated and we end up making behaviors and decisions that are not socially tolerable, right? So that second part is not only do we want to respond in a manner that's socially tolerable, but we also want to respond in a manner that is sufficiently flexible to permit two things, spontaneous reactions, as well as the ability to delay spontaneous reactions. Ooh, so let's talk about it. What that means First of all, it says spontaneous reactions. This isn't about being a robot. This isn't about not having strong feelings or not having real feelings or being measured and nothing bothers you and you are unbothered. It's not about that at all. It's the ability to balance the needs of honoring an authentic emotional experience, which is what you really feel, what you really want to do, and the effects that such behavior will have on yourself and others. So the ability to feel your real feelings and to navigate them in such a way that you can feel your real feelings, basically experience what you really feel, do what you really want to do, and balance that with what you really want for yourself after this moment is passed, right? Because I don't want to lean into what I really feel, hurt feelings, burn bridges, commit crimes, right? And then now I've created a situation I don't really want for myself, whether that's a broken relationship or jail time. And then when we talk about also the ability to delay spontaneous reactions. I love that because sometimes I'm having a big reaction to something and I need the ability to put it on the back burner. As a therapist, part of that is, you know, if somebody says something to me in a session and it hurts my feelings, I have to be able to put that on the back burner and deal with it later. If something horrific happens to me or in my life, but I still need to take care of my kids, I have to be able to delay those spontaneous reactions when I need to. I'll never forget going through a miscarriage, and but I still had to take care of my 18-month-old. And it was like, okay, like, yes, I want to honor my spontaneous reactions to this, but I do need the ability to delay those spontaneous reactions or I will fall apart and not be able to take care of my kid. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what makes a life worth living, as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we're alive, a must-read for anyone in medicine from a doctor-turned-patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include what makes a life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present, when the future no longer is a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean when you have a child to nurture a new life as another fades away? 
When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and was named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. I still remember where I was the first time it hit me. I maybe do have ADHD. And it's funny, I posted a TikTok the other day about having ADHD, and a good friend of mine texted me and said, remember when you swore to me you didn't have ADHD? Oh, goodness. Well, listen, if you relate to that at any point in your life, I want to share a podcast that you should tune into. It's called ADHD Aha, hosted by Laura Key. It's candid stories from people who share the moment it clicked that they or someone they know has ADHD. In each episode, you'll hear heartfelt interviews about the unexpected emotional and even funny ways that ADHD symptoms can surface for adults. And it doesn't always look the way we thought it would. So check it out. To listen to ADHD AHA, search for ADHD AHA in your podcast app. That's ADHD AHA with AHA spelled A-H-A. Shout out to Claritin for giving me some free samples and for sponsoring this podcast. I am a seasonal allergy sufferer, which means that sometimes I'm lying in bed reading a book that is super happy and my husband says, what's wrong? Why are you crying? Because I am sniffling and he thinks I'm crying. But no, it's just seasonal allergies. Luckily, that does not happen anymore because I use Claritin D. We can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sniffing, sneezing, watery eyes, itchy nose and throat. It's great. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. As for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter, you don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. And then what do we mean by reactions? So I came up with like five things when we talk about spontaneous reactions. Our feelings, obviously. Our thoughts. Our emotion-related behavior. So this would be things like facial expressions. These are things we're not really choosing to do. They're just happening Maybe, you know, facial expressions, pacing, yelling, and then emotion-related physiological responses. So heart racing, sweating, and then lastly, decision-based behavioral responses. So the decision to walk out and slam the door, the decision to, you know, punch somebody in the face, the decision to say something hurtful. Those are sort of what the reactions are. And again, we don't want to go so far on one way that we're not having any authentic reactions, which is buttoned up all the time. But we don't want to be so far on the other end that we think every single spontaneous reaction to an emotional experience doesn't have to be mitigated or thoughtful or restrained in any way. Because again, that's how we end up with social repercussions that don't line up for the goals we have for our lives. So when we talk about emotional regulation, let's kind of take it to the top. It's the ability for you to authentically experience the emotional experiences of life while still dealing with the demands of life in a way that balances being able to honor what you authentically feel and experience and the effects that your reaction might have on the environment around you and ultimately you and the people you care about. And to be able to move through your thoughts, feelings, emotion-related behaviors, physiological responses, and decision-based behavior responses in a way that does that well. Now, everybody has an ability to regulate. Some of us have 
maybe what's called a wide window of tolerance. Some have a small window of tolerance. And what the window of tolerance is, it's a concept originally developed by Dr. Dan Siegel. And it describes the optimal zone of arousal for a person to function in everyday life. So when we say arousal, we usually hear that in a sexual instance, but it refers to really any nervous system activation. When a person is operating within this zone or this window, they can effectively manage and cope with their emotions, right? So that arousal here is that nervous system activation or that stress. And anytime we're experiencing distressing emotions, there's stress there. There's nervous system activation there. And trauma does affect your window of tolerance. Your early childhood abilities, experiences affect this. And this idea is that when you're in your window of tolerance, you still have ups and downs. So being in your window of tolerance does not mean being calm. It just means you're able to emotionally regulate well. You might feel stress or pressure, but it doesn't really bother you that much. But you have your little ups and downs throughout the day. Now, outside of that window of tolerance is sort of this, what I call this red zone, both on the high end and the low end. The high end would be like a hyper arousal. This is extremely anxious, out of control, way overwhelmed. This is your body and brain going into fight or flight, where your reactions just take over. And on the low end of it, you have what's called hypoarousal. So this is zoned out, numb, frozen. This is that freeze response. Again, it's not something you choose. That reaction just takes over. So if you think of your little window, and then you think of kind of these red zones on the top and bottom, but there are other zones in there too. There's this yellow zone. It's like this buffer zone in between your comfort zone inside that window and just total fight, fight, or freeze. And that stress zone is sometimes also referred to as the learning zone. It's where there's enough stress for you to be enough activated to be learning something new. Think about your muscles, right? Like you have your window of tolerance for your muscles. You could walk or you could rest, but everything's pretty, you know, easy. And then you have like that learning zone. This is where you maybe you go to work out or you go to run and it pushes your muscle. It challenges your muscles, right? And it, that's good. And your muscles might feel sore and it might be really difficult, but in the end, it's making those muscles stronger. But we also know that you can push muscles so far that they don't get stronger. It actually makes them weaker, right? It's pushed too far. Well, your nervous system and your emotions, they're the same. There's this comfort level. That's fine. Little ups, little downs. There's this learning level. We're being challenged. We're being stressed, but it's not something that overwhelms our coping skills. And then, of course, you can be pushed so far that you're in fight or flight and you can't learn anything in those states. So tolerable stress, learning zone, uncomfortable, but your skills for coping are not too overwhelmed. This is actually a really good thing. And you'll hear sometimes there's this old phrase that a therapist used to say, no comfort in the learning zone. And no learning in the comfort zone or no comfort in the growth zone, no growth in the comfort zone. And we know this, right? Like sometimes if you are asked to do something scary, a good example is if you take somebody that has agoraphobia and they're wanting to work on their agoraphobia. Well, staying inside the house doesn't make their agoraphobia better. In fact, it can make it worse if they're just never leaving. But at the same time, if you were to say, okay, that person needs to get in their car and drive down the block, Okay, well, that might be too much. That might actually make the agoraphobia worse. So that's why therapists will look to find that yellow stress zone. So they might say, hey, can you take, can you just open the door today? Just open the door and look outside. And so the person will open the door and they'll look outside and they will feel stress. 
but they'll work with their therapist for coping skills that they can use while they're feeling that stress to begin to acclimate, to grow that window of tolerance until eventually they can open the door and it feels in their comfort zone. And the key here is not just exposure. It's exposure and coping skills. So we don't just say open the door until it doesn't bother you. No, you need coping skills as well. But let's talk about coping skills. What are coping skills? Coping skills are how we attempt to bring ourselves back to that window of tolerance, to that comfort zone. And there's a lot of moralizing that we do about coping skills. We talk about coping skills. We talk about defense mechanisms. We talk about maladaptive coping skills. We talk about, and so for a long time, we've been doing this, and now we get to where we feel like some ways of coping are healthy, some ways of coping are unhealthy. Some are wrong, some are good, some are bad, some are whatever. I want us to back up and maybe just morally neutralize all coping skills. At the end of the day, a coping skill is just how we are attempting to bring ourselves back into that window of tolerance and safety. Anything you do to downshift and activate a nervous system and decrease distressing emotions is a coping skill. So that means self-compassion, counting to three when you're angry, calling a friend to vent, icing your vagus nerve, taking a walk, calling a therapist, venting, journaling. But it also means drinking, smoking, watching TV for hours, scrolling TikTok, maladaptive daydreaming. Checking out and not talking to it, isolating for days. I think it's really helpful to not think of things as inherently good or bad when it comes to coping. And instead, think of those all of those skills as having a cost-benefit ratio. And one good example of this is if you think about a person who is autistic and they're masking during the day. And so masking is a way that an autistic person presents themselves as if they are neurotypical. And it's exhausting for them, but it's something that they do to get through a situation that involves painful or distressing nervous system experiences with the least amount of pain possible. And there are times when an autistic person masking is what gets them through the day. It's what protects them. And there are times when masking costs too much and it causes other painful situations to collaterally crop up in your life that overwhelm your ability to deal. And now you're trying to find coping skills to deal with the fallout of the coping skill that gets you through the day. And all of that is morally neutral. It's just about your personal cost benefit. It's about you deserve this wide window of tolerance that allows you to experience what the world has to offer in a way that allows you to behave in a way that creates things that align with the goals for your life so you can live a joyful life. Are you frustrated by buying your kids clothes and having them grow out of them within a week? Do they itch, pinch, and they just aren't comfortable? Well, then you need to check out Posh Peanut. Made from this amazing bamboo material, the clothes are legitimately so soft and they stretch with your kids as they grow. They are four times stretchier than cotton. Made to last, loved by parents, and approved by kids. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, beautiful and stylish clothing for kids and families designed in-house from beautiful florals to all of your favorite brands, such as Hot Wheels, Disney, Hello Kitty, and Barbie. Their pieces are made with that ridiculously soft fabric, and it even stays soft, wash after wash after wash. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code STRUGGLE. Go to poshpeanut.com slash struggle and use promo code STRUGGLE for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com slash struggle, promo code STRUGGLE. Remember in 2018 when Border Patrol separated thousands of refugee kids from their parents, deported those parents back to their home countries while keeping the kids in the United States? 
Well, believe it or not, six years later, there are hundreds of families who have still not been reunited. Although we as a community may feel hopeless at times, I recently learned about an organization called Al Otro Lado, which works to reunify families. They provide holistic legal and humanitarian support to refugees, deportees, and other migrants in the U.S. and Tijuana through a multidisciplinary, client-centered, harm-reduction-based practice. Since 2018, they've reunified over 100 refugee families ripped apart by Trump's zero-tolerance policy. Once reunited, Al Otro Lado helps each family find legal representation, housing, and the counseling that they need in order to heal and get on their feet. You can find the link to donate to El Ultra Lotto in the description of this episode or go to gum.fm slash charity and donate today. You can also consider volunteering with the organization, which offers opportunities that are both in-person and virtual. The best way to get involved is by filling out an application on their website, alotrolado.org slash volunteer. That's A-L-O-T-R-O-L-A-D-O. There are some coping skills that are so overwhelmingly good at turning the off switch of painful emotions, like doing cocaine, like isolating for days and not talking to somebody. And the issue is, is not that they're bad or wrong. It's that they solve the problem in the moment so well, but they do not help you learn any internal emotional skills that would help you widen your window of tolerance in the long run which would allow you to deal with a greater and greater breadth of emotional experience. In fact, it can do the opposite. It can shrink your window of tolerance. Some of those coping skills that are so good at just turning off the pain end up creating this collateral painful experiences in your life that bring lots of pain that you still don't know how to deal with. You didn't have the skills to deal with the pain when it was at a two, and now the cocaine has created situations that are at a 10, and you still don't have any more skills except turn it off with cocaine, And but the cocaine, right? Like that is the crux of addiction. The best coping skills are the ones that provide the immediate help of downshifting in the moment, but allow you to work to widen your window of tolerance in the long run, right? So, you know, doing cocaine when you're sad is not going to open your window of tolerance in the long run. So we want to find, you deserve different coping skills is what I'm getting at. So other coping skills may not be as good at getting rid of the painful emotions immediately, but they do it enough that you know you're safe. They keep you in the discomfort of learning, and it might take longer to recenter, but in doing so, you begin to widen your window of tolerance. So what kinds of coping skills are out there? Well, I mean, I just listed some, and in some ways, literally almost anything could be a coping skill. It's just things that you do to stay out of those red zones and regulate well. And obviously, it's an infinite amount. I'm not going to go into them here because I could talk forever. But in general, when we blow our top and we get to that fight or flight, what you need at that moment is soothing skills, things that help you ground in the present moment. And when we bottom out, we freeze or dissociate. What we need is gentle stimulation and orientation to time and place. And it's not one or the other. It's common for people to kind of go into fight or flight, and then their response to that is to shut down afterwards. So it's not linear. You know, you might go up the top and then bottom out. Some people just bottom out. And remember that these places are really places of like arresting. It's not just, I'm stressed out. And then lastly, I want to make it clear that going into fight, flight, or freeze on is not always avoidable. It's not always just because you didn't have good enough coping skills. There are certain things in this world that are going to trip your nervous system into this extreme state. It does not mean that you're not healthy enough or mature enough, or if you just had better coping skills, there are just certain things that are traumatic. And there's no amount of coping skills that can prevent you from going to that place when that happens. The coping skills are about learning how to get out of that place and back to safety. And ideally, yes, we want coping skills that can help you kind of circle the wagon back around before we get there. 
And we want a good wide window of tolerance so that we can enjoy everything the world has to offer and not be in, in as much pain. But there's no, you could never therapy yourself to get a wide enough window of tolerance where like nothing bad could ever happen to you. You still might go into fight or flight. You're still going to have traumatic things. You're still going to shut down. You're still going to do this. You're still going to do that. But I think what can be helpful is morally neutralizing some of those coping skills and instead just looking at them, not as are you doing good or are you doing bad, but what of those coping skills are really working for you and which ones aren't working for you? And what could you add to your arsenal that might work a little better? And so I hope that gives you some things to think about today. And I wish I could, you know, give you a plan on a platter of the exact coping skills that you need. But the truth is, is that the most powerful coping skill to start with is self-compassion. And it starts with giving yourself those messages that you're not wrong or bad, that you're just human and you're allowed to be human and you're allowed to make mistakes and you're allowed to have whatever window of tolerance you have and you're allowed to want more for your life and to take a gentle path to get there. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.